We begin our journey through the book of Deuteronomy today, and I think as we begin it, that it's fair to characterize this book of the Bible as a farewell address. It's a farewell address delivered by Moses to the people of Israel. And we're pretty familiar with these, I think, even in our own country, in our own day. The, look no further than our presidents of our country. They typically, as they're about to leave office, they deliver a farewell address where they give words of inspiration or encouragement or even warning to the nation. And uh, of all of them, I think the most impactful, the most enduring one was actually the very first one that was delivered by George Washington all the way back in 1796. It was actually a written one that was published, and it came at a really pivotal moment in the history of our young country. Uh, George Washington had been the national leader, a, a war hero, had served as the president for two terms of our nation, but he was about to now step aside to, and leave office. And if you read through that farewell address, it's, it's as if he was trying to tell that country at that time, you don't need me. You have the Constitution. If you, if you follow it, you'll be on good footing. And he wanted them to, to be weaned of their dependence on him and to follow the law that had been given to them. And as we come to the book of Deuteronomy, we'll see, like I said, that it's a farewell address. It's true, it's, it's given by a more significant man to a more significant group of people at a more significant time. Um, but the essence of it is, is fairly similar because you have Moses, who had been the leader for a whole generation or two of this nation of Israel, who had been uh, a hero for them, had, had led them so well. He's about to leave his post uh, and he, it's as if in this book of Deuteronomy, he is saying to them, to the nation of Israel in his day, you don't need me because you have the law of God. Follow it and you'll be on good footing. And so he's pointing them to the law as well, but it, it's not to a man-made constitution, one of human wisdom, but it, he's pointing them to a divinely given law to follow. And so as we come to the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to see that these aren't just the words of a president, and they're not just the words of a prophet like Moses. They're the very word of God. And Deuteronomy, if you don't know much about it, that's okay. We'll all learn together. But even within the books of the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, it is perhaps one of the most central and most important, in my opinion. One commentator that I read last week called it the heartbeat of the Old Testament. Even just know this, that Jesus quoted it often. It seemed to be in his heart and mind, deeply embedded. And as we begin our journey through it, I want you to know uh, that we will proceed through this book chunk by chunk. We'll, we'll start at the beginning. We're going to read the first eight verses today. And then as a church, we're just going to progress through it over the next several months. It'll really take the good part of this whole school year to even go through. But uh, this is a, a text. It's a farewell address that was delivered, that was spoken to an ancient people, but it's important for us to know that it was written down for us. It was written down for all generations of God's people that would come after. And so I want to read for us now the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. So I'd encourage you to follow along or listen along uh, as I read these verses. But the book of Deuteronomy begins like this. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahav. It's eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. 
In the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel, according to all that the Lord had given him and commandment to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and in Edrei. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey, and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we come uh, in to this first section of Deuteronomy and seek to cover it, I want to help us as we're starting to, to see from this very first paragraph that we can get a glimpse into both the context and the content of the book of Deuteronomy, that we can see its context, we can see what the setting was that produced it, the, the setting that this farewell address was spoken into, um, but we can also learn, I think, from this first paragraph what the content of that speech was going to be, what the, its subject matter was going to be. So the context and the content of the book of Deuteronomy. And so I want to start by showing from this text a few things that, that point us to the context, the setting of the scene and the, 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 the situation that Moses spoke into. And because I think if we miss that, if we miss the setting, we'll probably also miss the significance of this speech and what God has to say through it. So first I want to point out the timing of this. When was this farewell speech, this farewell address delivered. If you look at verse 3, you can get the first indicator of the, the timing of it. That verse starts this way. It says, In the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel. So for right now, just set aside the eleventh month and the first day, uh, and just note that it says, in the fortieth year. That's it's really important for us as we start this. The fortieth year of what? Uh, that, that may leave you scratching your head, uh, but I note for us that Deuteronomy is not the first book of the Bible, it's the fifth, and there's four books of the Bible that precede it that help flesh that out for us. So some very, very important things happened 40 years prior to this farewell address. So 40 years prior, a few things that happened that you can read about back in Exodus and following was that this nation of Israel back then had actually been in slavery. The whole nation was in slavery in the nation of Egypt under Pharaoh. But God miraculously rescued them uh, through a series of plagues that he brought against the Egyptians. Uh, he delivered them. And then as they were being chased by Pharaoh's chariots, he famously parted the Red Sea for them and let them walk across on dry ground. Uh, he had miraculously rescued them 40 years ago. And then pretty quickly, he brought them to Mount Sinai. In this text, you see it a few times referred to as Horeb. That's the same place, the same area. Uh, but 40 years prior, God had brought them to Mount Sinai, and he had given them his law. Moses had gone up on Mount Sinai and gotten the Ten Commandments from God and got the rest of the law. And then we get a glimpse even in verses 6 through 8 of our text today, one thing that had happened back then. 
After God gave them that law, he told them to leave that mountain and go to the land that he had promised them to go and take it even, he says. Uh, and they did. They, they went over to the land. They got to the edge of it, and they sent spies into the land 40 years prior, 12 of them, who went into that promised land and looked at it and saw the, the fruit of it and the glory of it, uh, were excited in some ways as they came back to report, but were also scared because they saw how strong the cities were, how big the people were, there and most of the spies who came back uh, were afraid and timid and saying we should not go in and the nation listened to them they cowered they they were afraid and instead of trusting god and obeying him they listened to these spies and followed their counsel and 40 years prior in response god told them that that generation of adults from 20 years old and up would not be allowed to enter the promised land. He was going to turn them around from the promised land and make them wander as a nation in the wilderness for 40 years. And so this happened one by one by one. Those adults uh, who had not trusted the Lord died in the wilderness. And there was four decades then of death and wandering in the wilderness God had been with them for those 40 years. But now as we come to the book of Deuteronomy, we're in the 40th year and seemingly that whole generation has died off, and now they're ready to enter. Now is time for them to enter into that promised land at long last. So that's what the 40th year is. It's very significant. Most recently, right before this speech, you get a couple hints in verse 4 that God has very recently, prior to this speech, given them a few tastes of victory. They had defeated Sihon, they had defeated Og, these kings. Uh, God had given them these tastes of victory, but now they're these people at the cusp of the promised land ready to go in. And so we see the timing, we see the location a little bit. You see in verse 1 and in verse 5 uh, that it, this phrase, beyond the Jordan is mentioned. That's the Jordan River, which would have been the, the boundary to the east of the promised land. And so the, it seems like God's people have come, even verse 5 says that they're in the plains of Moab, the land of Moab. They're on the west, excuse me, they're on the east side of the Jordan River, and the promised land is on the west side. And it's as if they are there overlooking the promised land, maybe seeing it with their own eyes. And it's just ironic, if you look at verse 2, uh, what was just 11 days away from Mount Sinai now has taken 40 years to come to, for this nation to be ready to enter into the promised land that God has told them he would deliver. So that's the timing and the setting, but who is the speaker of this? Who's the deliverer of this farewell address? It's very obvious uh, from what I've already said and even from verse 1 that it is Moses. This whole book starts, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel. I want you to know who he is. There's some really important things to know about Moses to feel the weight of what his message was going to say. Uh, Moses had been the primary leader of this nation of Israel for 40 years at this point. Throughout that whole endeavor, he had been their leader. And God had used him to do some glorious things. I've been more and more impressed with him as I, I've studied some of these early books of the Bible and even read through Deuteronomy more. I've been very impressed with him and what God used him to do. He Just think of what all he had done. If you're familiar with the history, 
history of the Old Testament at all, he had been the one who confronted Pharaoh. He had been the one that God had used to pronounce plagues and bring them to bear on the nation of Egypt. He had been given signs to perform, miracles to perform in front of Pharaoh. He was the one whose staff was used to, to part the Red Sea. He was the one who had gone up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments and the law from God. He's the one who would meet with God in this place called the Tent of Meeting over and over and over again. He had been doing these glorious things for decades but now he's old. He is, at this point, at the point of delivering this speech, he is 120, 120 years old now. And he knows, as he's about to deliver this speech, that he's nearing death. And it's not because he's old and weak, but he knows that he's nearing death. And by the end of this book, this is a spoiler alert, by the end of this book, we're going to hear the words that Moses died. And he knows that prior to dying, he is not going to get the privilege of entering the promised land. He knows that he's going to die outside of the land of promise. He knows it. But here he has this chance to speak to the nation, to the, the hearers of this farewell address. And I want you to know a few things about them. The, the last thing under the, the heading of context, I want you to know who the hearers of this speech were. It says that these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. So he is speaking these words of Deuteronomy to the entire nation. This would have been a huge assembly. I don't even know how they pulled that off, but a huge assembly he's speaking to, to all Israel. And he's not just speaking to some elite group of people, not just to the leaders, not just to the old, not just to whoever, fill in the blank. He's speaking to old and young, weak and strong, men and women, rich and poor, prominent and influ- or influential, and then those who maybe looked past. He, he's speaking to them all. And if, if you think about this setting, this entire nation all of them, if I'm doing my math correctly, would have been 60 years old or younger. If 40 years prior, all the 20-year-olds and up had been told that they would pass away in the wilderness, now 40 years have passed, the oldest amongst them would have been 60. Moses is 120 speaking to them, but for most of these people who are going to hear this address, the time of the Exodus is just stories to them that they heard from mom and dad or heard from grandma and grandpa. They weren't there in slavery in Egypt. They didn't see the Red Sea part. Yes, they've eaten manna from heaven, but most of God's deliverance is just stories to them. But they are on the precipice of the promised land, the same land uh, with the same cities and people that terrified grandma and grandpa. Now they're standing facing uh, this uncharted, dangerous territory, and they're facing the prospect of going in without Moses, without their leader. And so what would be different? What, what is going to change to make this generation actually go in, to actually obey? This is a, such an epic scene, uh, and I, I want you to think, what would Moses say to them? What would he communicate to them? What would you even try to say to these people? And so the next several months, we're going to get an eavesdrop on this talk on this address that he gives to the nation but for now we just get to look at this very beginning of it and I think we can see even in the very first words of his speech we can see what the content of it was going to be like so we know the context but what was the content of it you see some descriptions in verse 3 and verse 5 that give us a glimpse into the content of what this farewell address is going to be 
point out a few of these to you. If you look at verse 3, it says that in that 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, then this is how it's described, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. And so what that is saying is that everything Moses is about to say is according to the commandments that the Lord had given him, which has to be referring back to the law that was given at Mount Sinai. So everything Moses is about to say is according to that, to those words that God gave to them 40 years prior at Mount Sinai. And then a similar thing is said down in verse 5. It says that beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, and this is how it's described, Moses undertook to explain this law. And so, again, you just have it stated a different way that everything Moses is about to say in this farewell address is him undertaking to explain the law, to explain the law that God had given to his people. And this is not what, at least what I would expect, I don't know what you would expect from Moses in this moment. Uh, I would think that he may go the route of what we see like in Braveheart with Mel Gibson depicting William Wallace riding up and down the lines trying to, to rally troops and fire them up and get them ready for warfare, give them some military strategy, something like that. Or maybe that, that he knew giving the law to the people 40 years ago didn't really work, didn't really motivate them to obey. So maybe he's going to deliver some fresh new revelation, some fresh new insights or guidance to them. That's what we would expect, right? We wouldn't expect him to just give them the same law that he had given the generation before them. But that's exactly what he does. He undertakes to explain the law that God had given at Sinai. And so what Moses is going to do throughout Deuteronomy is he's going to try to help apply God's word to their situation. Apply God's old words to their new situations that they're walking into. He, he's giving them old words, not new ones. He, he's trying to take what was said at Sinai and tell them what that will look like lived out in this promised land. And so it, it's interesting that this book of the Bible is named Deuteronomy. That's kind of a mouthful for us to say in English, but behind that are two words, Deutero and Namas. It means second law. And, it, and even with that name, it's not as if Moses is giving them some law 2.0, but he's retelling the law that God gave them back at Mount Sinai. And so what we'll see through the book of Deuteronomy is that a huge majority of it, of this farewell speech, is him giving very practical instructions to this new generation of Israelites. It's kind of like a long sermon, like him taking what God had said and then trying to apply it to their life. Chapters 5 through 26 are all going to be that way. Very practical instruction covering a range of real-life subjects that I think are going to be really helpful for us as a church family to go through. Uh, but this seems kind of anticlimactic, right? Like, don't these people need something new, something fresh, something different if they're going to succeed? But it's encouraging to me, and I hope it's encouraging to you, to see that Moses had more confidence in God's word than he had in his own. Uh, he knew that what people needed most to hear was the word of God, not the words or ideas of Moses. He knew what people needed to hear. And I would summarize today's message in this way, that every generation, ours included, needs God's old words applied to their current context. Uh, we don't need to update the Word of God, to modify it, to smooth it out, to sharpen it up. We don't need to add to it or remove from it. 
if we want to quote unquote get with the times or to to minister to people of our day, we need to take God's word as he gave it to us and to read it and explain it and believe it and follow it. That's what we need. And I'm thankful to God that our church has sought to do that for the 40 or so years of our existence. And what we need for the next 40 years of our church is the same thing, to keep taking the word of God, faithfully read it, faithfully teach it, faithfully hear it, and try to faithfully apply it to the situations that we find ourselves in. And the next 40 years may have unforeseen things that we don't anticipate, but what we need in those unforeseen situations is not new revelation from God. We need to hear God's old, ancient words applied to those new settings. If you have read Deuteronomy, though, you know that those practical instructions, that retelling of the actual laws, doesn't actually start in this speech till chapter 5. There's going to be four whole chapters that come before it. And, and I would just note for us that before Moses jumps into explaining the law, he does a little storytelling, telling them the backstory of themselves as a nation, their backstory as the nation of Israel. Uh, And I think part of why he does it is because he knew they needed more than just the law. They needed to have motivation to actually obey the law. And he, to help motivate them, he points them back to promises that God has made and ways that God has acted to fulfill those promises. And so you see that even in today's text as he starts actually speaking in verse 6. He starts by telling their backstory. He, he reminds them how back at Sinai, back at Horeb, uh, God had told them to leave there now that he'd given them the law. And he told them, verse 7, to turn and take their journey and then to go to the land that he'd promised them. To go on that 11 days journey to the promised land and to take possession of it. He says in verse 8, I've, I've said it before you, go take possession of it. But then he points them back further in time, even beyond Mount Sinai, way further back in time, at the end of verse 8, to the promise that God had made to Abraham. Uh, Back in Genesis uh, 12 and following, God had talked to a man named Abraham, who was the very first forefather of the nation of Israel, and God had promised him that he would give him and his descendants a land to live in, this very land that they're about to enter now in the book of Deuteronomy. And God had promised them this land flowing with milk and honey to the descendants. And what I think Moses is trying to remind these people of is that God has gone now to great lengths to fulfill that promise. He didn't just make it and then leave them on their own. He made this promise, and then he's done these miraculous things to deliver them from slavery, to to bring them out of the land, to provide food for them, to provide rescue for them at the Red Sea, to provide a law for them to have as they enter this land. God has worked a great salvation for them to fulfill this promise. Uh, He is a promise-keeping God. And that should give motivation to them to obey. Not just They shouldn't just be called to obey just because it's right and this is wrong. That should be enough. But he's pointing them further back to God's promise-making nature and his promise-keeping nature. And that should be a motivation for them to obey him as they enter the land. But you may think, what difference does this make for us? We're, most of us who are listening, we're not, uh, we're not Israelites. We're not ethnic Jews. We're certainly not alive in this day hearing Moses speak to us on the banks of the Jordan River, ready to enter into the promised land. 
most of us, we've not, we're not part of that people. We haven't been promised Canaan. Um, what difference does it make to us that God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God? And if that's what you're asking, I want to point you back even further in time, even than what Moses did here, point you further back behind Mount Sinai, behind Abraham, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Because there is a deeper, more ancient story that all of us are part of as human beings. None of us are exceptions. We're all part of it. And it's a, it's a story that involves a land that is better than Canaan, a slavery that is worse than Pharaoh's, and a deliverer that is greater than Moses. And I want to tell you this story briefly. If we look further back in time at the Garden of Eden to the very beginning of time, the very beginning of our race of humanity, we see this, that we as human beings were made to live in God's presence. We were made physically to be in his presence. That's what the Garden of Eden was. God was living and walking with Adam and Eve. And he gave them a law to follow. He, he gave them guidelines and, and a rule to follow. And Adam and Eve in the garden were tempted by the serpent, who is Satan himself. They were tempted by him to listen to him instead of to the word of God. And they believed him. They, they followed after his voice instead of the voice of God. And as they sinned, as they rebelled against God, we all as the human race became enslaved to Satan, enslaved to sin. That is what we all are born into as human beings now. And back there at the Garden of Eden, when they disobeyed and they ate the fruit of the tree that they were forbidden from eating, God pronounced a curse upon them, a curse upon us, a curse upon our world. And I would note this, he kicked them out of the land. He kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, saying that they were not allowed to return. They could not be in his presence because of their sin. He even went to great lengths to, to show them that they could not enter, putting angels with flaming swords there at the entrance to the garden, saying, you cannot enter here anymore. But as God kicked them out, as he pronounced that curse upon them and upon us, God also made a promise. It's the most ancient of promises. He promised that someday he would send a human being. He would send a descendant of Adam and Eve who would actually crush the head of the serpent, who would do what Adam and Eve did not, who would do what we could not, who would actually defeat Satan and crush his head and who would free us, implied in that promise was that he would free us from our slavery to Satan, that he would free us from our slavery to sin, and eventually God went to great lengths to send that very rescuer to fulfill that promise, and it was not Moses. That rescuer that God promised and that God ultimately sent was Jesus. Jesus is God the Son, and he, 2,000 years ago, entered into the human race. He became a human being just like us, and he grew up as a boy, as a young man, and as he entered into adulthood, Satan came toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. And Satan tempted him just as he has tempted every human before and since, just as he had tempted Adam and Eve. But as Jesus faced him, he resisted. He actually denied himself as he was tempted. And ironically, interestingly, Jesus, even as he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan facing his temptations, guess what he quoted back to him? He quoted from this very book of the Bible, Deuteronomy. 
quoting the word of God, saying, I will obey my heavenly Father, not you. So he obeyed perfectly. If there was anyone who deserved to get back to Eden, anyone who deserved to be in God's presence, it was Jesus. But as he went to the cross, as he laid down his life, what took place was that he took our sin. He took our rebellion against God upon himself. He let those things be counted to him. And as he died upon the cross, it wasn't just Roman soldiers killing him. It was God the Father putting him to death, punishing him in our place for our sin so that we might be forgiven, that we might be released of the guilt and judgment that should be coming to us. But that cost Jesus' life. He, he was killed. He died. He was laid in a tomb. And it seemed somehow in this story that that. God had lost, that Satan had won, that, that uh, Jesus was victim to death just like everyone else had been, that the curse was still in place. But as Jesus died on Friday and was buried on Sunday morning, God the Father raised him back to life. Uh, he, he raised him to life to show that his sacrifice was acceptable, uh, to show that sin had been defeated, that, it, that God's wrath had been fully poured out upon Jesus in our place, to show that Satan no longer had power or dominion over the people of God. And a few weeks after that glorious resurrection, God brought Jesus back to heaven, brought him back to his dwelling place as a human being to live with him as human beings were intended to live. And Jesus has the power to free any and all of us from our slavery to sin. He has the power to deliver us from the judgment of God. He has the power to restore us and reconcile us to God something that we cannot do ourselves. And he has the power to someday on the other side of death raise us up to live with him on a new earth that is better than Canaan, that is better than Eden. He can do that for us. What a promise-keeping God. And if Moses had Mount Sinai to point people back to, he had the Red Sea to point people back to, he had the plagues to point people back to, we have something greater to point back to. We have the cross of Jesus and the empty tomb of Jesus and even the throne of heaven right now that we can look to, to have motivation to obey him and follow him, to live as he has called us to live. And if you have never been reconciled to God through Jesus, what he asks of you today is not that you just start keeping the law to gain his favor, but that you repent of your sin, that you acknowledge your guilt, that you acknowledge your rebellion against him, that you turn from it and that you ask for forgiveness through Jesus. You lay your trust, you place your faith in Jesus and what he has done for you on your behalf asking for forgiveness because of his work, not yours. And if you will do that, today will be the day that God forgives you, that God saves you and changes your heart so that you can actually obey, that you can actually follow after him as you were made to do. And so our, our response to that promise of God and the keeping of that promise should be awe and thankfulness. Uh, we should respond in obedience and trust. And so just as Moses called these people to obey God, uh, we will see God calling us to obey him. But we have even greater reason, greater motivation even than they had standing there on the plains of Moab. 
whenever in late February each year around the the birthday of George Washington, ever since the days of the Civil War era, uh, in the United States Senate, there's been been an annual tradition of having one of the senators read George Washington's farewell address aloud uh, to the, their fellow senators. They take turns switching back between the parties that are represented by the senators. Uh, but they see enduring value in reading his words over and over again. Even though they're um, a few hundred years old now, they see value in returning to them, hearing his wisdom, uh, hopefully growing uh, from hearing them. And if there is value, which I think there is, in hearing those words uh, over and over again, if there is utility to that and benefit from that, how much more value is there for us to come to this book of Deuteronomy again and again, to hear it read again and again, to not let it just be ancient words that were spoken to an ancient people at an ancient time, but to hear these as the very words of God that should be spoken to us again and again and again. Like I said, these are not just the words of a president or a prophet. They're the very word of God to us. And that is exactly what we need, isn't it? We need ancient words to guide us in our current context. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a God who doesn't just speak ancient words, but continues to speak those ancient words to us, uh, that you help us to hear them and to, to feel them, to believe them, and that by your Spirit you help us to follow them. God, we pray that you would help us as a church family to uh, be grateful for your word, to not ever be dismissive of them or devaluing of them, but that every part of it, from Genesis to Revelation, that we would see as your word to us, uh, that we would receive them as such. And we pray as we go through this book of Deuteronomy that we would grow in our love for Christ. Though he had not yet entered the world as a human at this day and age, it is very clearly pointing ahead to him. And we pray even as we read the words of Moses, that we would see his love for the Savior who is going to come, and that, that you would grow ours for him as well. And we pray this in his name. Amen.